All right, the candle's been lit. Sweet rosemary vanilla. Welcome to the Eternia Review. My name is Ben. And I am Truman. And we're returning to our deep dive through uh, He-Man and the Masses of the Universe. We're in, what, episode 16? A Friend in Need. episode to come back to you know a nice easy one with appropriate amounts of insanity going on i have never seen someone break bad so quick it was a very special episode here's our dare program episode coming in hot we open on the world of eternia where we actually get to see a world map they don't pinpoint the locations of anything but it looks vaguely like north america and south america if the Caribbean was a giant volcano. It's got a nice little uh, isthmus between the northern continent and the southern continent. There's some weird volcano-y things going on to the east. Yeah, like, I don't know, a tenth of the size of the northern continent. Just a huge volcano. The northern continent is, like, mountainous. There's, like, a mountains to the south end of it blocking off from the central thing and it's like like foresty area then they like a desert looking area to the south yeah i guess i assume that palace eternia is in the north because of the forest it must be in the center the only thing we really know about the local geography was from that ridiculous map in the last episode i think uh yeah with this forest and some other places named after weird references yeah the evil area to the north yeah <laughs> and the bad mountains well hopefully we get more glimpses of the attorney and geography we do pan over a forest when suddenly a glowing semi-translucent flying saucer zips through the sky they pop over to palace eternia and i think you hear tila's voice kind of in the distance oh they're here and it's a viking lady She's wearing like a winged head dress thing. She's Tila's friend, Elena. Elena. It's spelled with two L's, but it keeps saying it like there's two syllables there. Elena, Elena, Elena. I wonder if Robert Jordan was a huge fan of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. The Eye of the World came out, I think, after this. Yeah. In the 90s, maybe? Elena. Uh, for those you know, that may not I get love. the reference, is famously uh, Luz Theron Talamon, Luz Theron Kinslayer's beloved wife who he murders in a fit of madness right in the opening prologue. Yeah, I'd say spoilers, but that's like not, that's like the very opening action. It is the first thing that happens. But if you want to know more, you're going to have to read 14 sprawling books. Yeah, a time commitment there. Ilyana is accompanied by an old monk wizard. Is that like it's her dad or something, right? She does call him father. And she's riding in the saucer with her eyes closed. When they land, he says, oh, it's okay to open your eyes now. He's got his weird, like, uh, kooky old doddering fool voice. <laughs> uh, you can open your eyes. Uh, yeah, and Ilyana has the same 
voice that basically every woman character has so far, except Tila, I think, which is the like slightly breathy, high pitched. Maybe even the queen. The queen isn't so breathy, but they're all like high register, real airy sounding voices. They are delivering the transmutator, which they announce as Tila comes to greet Ileana. So that's this week's MacGuffin. So they're here to deliver the transmutator. Orko rolls up to warn them that Jarvan the sorcerer has escaped from the prison mine. <laughs> the prison mine. Uh, uh-huh. So right back to the old theme of despot or benign ruler. It's looking more and more like despot. King Randor uh, mystery. Tila is not worried at all about this and does say, oh, I bet he's in another galaxy by now. Which, like, is he, is that a concept, first of all, that they know of, right? So they're aware of space. And two, is that a literal statement? Like, can they just go to another galaxy? Can they just do that? Tila and Ilyana ride off on robot horses, which maybe we'll come back to that. Jarvan, we cut over to, like, a barren field, and Jarvan appears, and going back to your question, he says, uh, it's good to be back on Eternia. So he did go somewhere else. And the prison mine is presumably somewhere. Is that off-world, do you think? It's in the prison dimension, I think. <laughs> the prison dimension? But yeah, they know about space travel. That's how the queen reached Eternia, and they get whatever magic ore from the moon. Which is one thing, but then like intergalactic travel is like a whole nother animal you know yeah even star wars is in one single galaxy i mean even star trek is in one single galaxy right and even only a portion of it so to have an intergalactic going to other galaxies is a big feat of course they can just like snap their fingers and go wherever anyway so yeah which i wonder does that mean that they can reach other galaxies through technology or is it through magic or is that even a useful distinction to make? Is it all, I mean, mad, you know, you learn how to cast magic. Doesn't that make it just another form of technology, I guess? Especially when it comes to something like He-Man, where it's all like functionally the same, like technology goes toe to toe with magic and it's kind of functions as the same thing, just some mysterious object that does some cool nifty thing. Yeah, Tila throws a flashbang is it a chemical reaction or is it magic? It doesn't matter. The shadow apes are blinded. She can beat them with her bow staff. And then like the sorceress can do a flashbang too. Like it does it the same function, but it still has the same result, you know? But speaking of techno magic though, we should come back to the robot horses. Yeah, please. Let's do. Because why? <laughs> <laughs> so they're very obviously robots because they have, they're not seamless. They are yeah. like clearly made of uh, plates of metal that have been connected with like a big fucking screw through the front legs or something. They have like joints wherever a horse would seem like it have a joint. And then like they end up being skittish just like real horses, right? Like they're, they're designed to behave 100% like an actual horse. But they're just robots for no reason. Like, does not seem like a good design idea. So in a previous episode, Man-at-Arms creates a android He-Man to trick Skeletor. And apart from 
moving really robotically, I guess. It does look a lot like He-Man. So the robots, robot horses here have to be an aesthetic choice because they could totally make lifelike looking robot horses if they wanted. Although this is past the Adam robot, right? So maybe they'd like stepped so close to the uncanny valley and they were found it abhorrent. So the next thing that they made, the robot horse, they decided to not make it look lifelike to make it obvious that it was a robot. So they didn't find it as like jarring to see. Yeah, the artificial intelligence that inhabits the attack track is getting a little too uppity in their thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't want that thing to get any ideas about pretending to be a human or inhabiting a body that's not literally the dumbest vehicle that has ever been conceived of. So you have to make sure anything that's a robot looks like a robot. So Jarvan is back. He's a blue dude with big eyebrows and a big mustache. He looks like evil. He's got the evil mustache thing going on. Yeah. He's got he's got like this paunch. <laughs> Which is uncharacteristic of villains in Eternia. I mean, Skeletor is ripped. Evil Lynn can get it. Uh Beastman and uh Manny Faces and Triclops, you know, all like buff. Oh yeah, they're ripped shredded and this dude has been working in the prison mines for god knows how long and he's got a paunch still <laughs> like a beach ball under his uh cloak yeah which maybe they let him do all of his prison mining by magic i don't know could be does casting a magic spell use calories apparently not i guess not jarvian is back on eternia and is interested in revenge revenge on he-man for putting him in the prison mines and Randor, although he doesn't really follow up on that thought. And he does not show up in this episode. So wouldn't you know it, Tila and Ilyana riding their robot horses trot up right to the same barren field that Jarvan has appeared in. And he says, oh, it's not time to reveal myself. So he makes a bunch of geysers erupt. Which is when the, the horses get spooked unnecessarily in like buck Tila and Ileana off of them and run off like the skittish animals they're designed to be. If I were made of metal, I would be afraid of rusting. So fair enough. I mean, they, maybe they designed, were designed with some amount of self-preservation. Although if you follow Asimov's rules of robotics, like that's not, that's like the third tier or something. Yeah. They should have been protecting the humans. Ileana is frightened there's geysers going off everywhere. Although if you just sort of stay away from them, it seems like you would be safe. But Tila comes back to help Ilyana, who's trapped, but is blasted in the face by a geyser and falls unconscious. Orko picks this time to be conveniently worried. We cut over to Orko and Prince Adam tinkering with something. Orko's worried that he hasn't heard from Tila or Ilyana, and Prince Adam calls them on the... Oh, I forget what they call the thing. Transponder or something? Oh, comlink. Adam calls Tila on the comlink. Elena uh, answers, and it's like, oh no, we're trapped. Prince Adam solves basically no problems on his own. His first instinct, not let's not send a, I don't know, air car or whatever to go pick them up. It's immediately transformed into He-Man. Isn't that a problem solving the problem on his own? I mean, like, what is the... So getting blasted in the face by a geyser is, I don't know, maybe dangerous, but it doesn't seem like a an emergency. 
So what's the threshold at which Prince Adam will do something without first transforming into, like there's a termite infestation. Are they going to get a boulder thrown at him? Yeah, for sure they are. (laughs) Or maybe he has like uh, a really hard to open jar of pickles. (laughs) So he has to invoke the power of Grayskull. Yeah, I mean, Prince Adam's muscles are maybe just show muscles, so the jar of pickles, he's really got to... Well, he's got, like, the, the, the upper body strength. He just doesn't have the grip strength in his hands, you know? Oh. He has to hold the, sour, the sword for it. Yeah. Uh, someone's got to get Prince Adam those uh, foam things with the spring that you can squeeze. Yeah, or, like, the guitar finger things where they have it, individual springs you can do individual fingers on. He-Man arrives, and you see a bunch of geysers going off in a field, how are you going to resolve the situation? I don't think He-Man's strength or whatever is really necessary for it. But you know what He-Man's going to do? Is he going to throw a rock at it? He's going to throw a rock at it. First, he has to make them. So he goes to a nearby small (laughs) mountain and punches it until it turns into a bunch of boulders. So, again, I've said this before. I'm not exactly a geological expert, but I don't think putting a boulder on a geyser is safe advisable in any shape way or form the pressure is going to go somewhere and usually those like at a geyser especially like yellowstone if you get close to it like the ground is unstable like there's little chasms and holes and everything and like you can break through to whatever hot sulfur springs down in there that does not seem to be true of attorney in geology i guess actually another thing about it am i making that up or is that just something my parents told me to get me to not go towards Old Faithful? You, do you think they had to make up a lie and otherwise you would have been like, oh yeah, super hot steam geyser, I'm going to go put my finger in it? I remember it being a thing when I went to Yellowstone that like some of the ground around geysers or hot springs was thinner and so you could like break through it and like get into the hot water and burn yourself and stuff. But then I also remember seeing like images of like buffaloes covered in snow standing right next to Old Faithful. He-Man does not really care about, I don't know, geology or physics or most natural phenomena, except for the power of muscles and also the power of boulders. So he yeah throws them one at a time onto each geyser, plugging them up so that he can then safely rescue Ilyana and Tila. Jarvian watches from behind our rock. Okay, so I'm going to give you an interesting fact and then stop looking at the internet about this because I'm not going to get the answers. It's possible for a human to dissolve in the hot springs of Yellowstone. Yikes. So like, if you slip in, like your body will literally dissolve within a day. Ilyana is breaking down because she's not brave enough and Battle Cat sort of carries everybody home. Uh, yeah, Alina's in a real low spot. She's feeling down about herself, wishing she could feel better. She's sitting there after the rescue by herself, lamenting to herself about how crappy she is at saving people and being brave, how she wishes she could be like uh, Tila. And the evil dude gives her her first hit for free. Yeah, what do you do when you have self-confidence issues? Do you work on yourself? No. You find some creepy woman to give you some sort of magic pill that makes you feel good. Yeah, you definitely do drugs about it. So Jarvan transforms because, I don't know, a creepy old man is not going to successfully push drugs on a impressionable young woman, but a creepy old lady 
I guess, a different story. So he pulls uh, Evelyn. It's literally the same uh, character model as an Evelyn transformation from before, I'm pretty sure. Just palette swapped into Jarvan's like bluish green or whatever color. Yeah, and offers her a magic potion to make her less of a scaredy cat. To Ilyana's credit, she does briefly consider that taking magic potion drugs from a stranger who appears out of nowhere could be possibly a bad idea. For a brief second. And then she starts doing pirouettes on that picnic table. Yeah, she is feeling good after mm-hmm. she takes that potion. Oh, yeah. Dorvan uh, gives her a secret decoder ring to contact her when she needs her next hit. With the passcode M Ot Mock, which I don't know. I couldn't get any meaning out of that phrase. Me either. Tila comes across the now confident Ilyana and they set off to do brave stuff, I guess. I don't know. She wants to do a bunch of things now. She's feeling like the queen of the world. But before we discover what that means, here we cut over to Man-at-Arms tech demo. (sighs) Tech demo time. The transmutator literally can turn things into gold. So he shoots it at a tree and turns it into a golden tree. So they could just do this? Like, that's like the Philosopher's Stone. That's a thing that, like, humanity has had mythos about for, like, hundreds of years. Yeah, it seems like a powerful artifact. And they're just like, oh, this is super cool. This won't crash the economy or anything. (laughs) I mean, Eternia is already the superpower of the world through He-Man. And the people of Eternia live in huts. So I don't think that Randor is too concerned. What is the economy on Eternia? Misery. Just drudging and mud farming. They've talked about Eternian silver before. Yeah, so there is currency. What do their lands produce even? I mean, I guess there's, there has to be food, right? The peasants do have to eat something because Orko is not giving them any of his limitless supply of magic cake. And... They're not, like, handing out gold for free, even though they can turn literally anything into gold. Which, by the way, after Man-at-Arms turns the tree into gold, he does offhandedly mention, oh, and we can turn it back if we want, but he does not. So he's he's definitely looking to fence that thing later. Needless to say, Jorvan is watching through the magic decoder ring, and he is, like, super into wanting it. But not for the overwhelming magic power of the transmutator like the world breaking economy disrupting power of the transmutator uh, he wants it for another reason as we'll discover a little later on meanwhile Ilyana has come down from her high and is crashing hard oh real hard she's feeling the lows right now she needs that next hit she's itching for it right now she encants the magic phrase the old woman shows up and deals her another hit. Second hit's still free right now. Yeah, I thought it was the first one, but I, I don't know, maybe Jarvan is... He wants to make sure he's got his hooks real good and into her, you know? Tila and Adam come looking for Ilyana. Uh, she is now high as a kite and proposes that they take a joyride on her father's air car, which she totally knows how to drive. She definitely could drive it. No problem. Which is why they showed her closing her eyes at the beginning of the episode, just so that she was scared of driving the hover car before. And now she's like, 
not even uh, a little bit nervous. Yeah, this is her big character moment with the power of drugs. <laughs> she has the confidence to drive the air car. Adam just like decides it's a good idea to get into the passenger seat of this car with her and they fly off and she's like doing loops and speeding like crazy. So much so that Adam literally flies out of the, I don't know, cockpit. Yeah. And is hanging on to the back of the air car by his little fingertips. So he falls out and transforms into He-Man in midair. Do you think that Prince Adam couldn't have survived the fall? I suppose not. He had to transform, right? And what better parachute in Eternia than muscles? Yep. Ilyana is struggling to land. The air car crashes, fortunately, right into He-Man's outstretched arms. And he catches the air car and sets it down. She admits she doesn't know how to drive it. He-Man's like, well, you shouldn't have done that. It's very (laughs) dangerous. Let's get you some rest. So she goes back to her rooms and it's feeling super down again. And then the continuation of our very special episode, she's that next hit. But this time, there's a cost. The old woman wants Ilyana to retrieve the transmutator, which Ilyana can do because it is guarded by a voice password. And she can get it, which doesn't make sense that her dad would like put her as like an admin on this like world-breaking device when she's like this timid little teenager girl. Ilyana is initially hesitant. She resists the idea of betraying her father in the kingdom, but jumps straight from like season two of Breaking Bad all the way to five and concocts a plot to double-cross the old woman. Did she concoct this plan while she was high on the drug? Maybe she's feeling super confident. She's like, I could totally do that. No, because the old woman does not give her any until... Oh. Uh, yeah, she's like, all right, uh, here's my plan. I'm going to like get the transmitter from her, get the drugs from her, and then when I'm feeling super good, I'm going to take it back because that's how it's going to work. So Elena enters the lab and tries to take the transmutator out to the terrace but it is too heavy. Enter Orko, walking plot device. Complete with Orko's theme, by the way. This is his third appearance. The first one was to let everybody know that Jarvan had escaped. The second was to get Prince Adam to call up Tila on the comlink. And then, yeah, the third is to allow Ilyana to give away the uh, transmutator. Which, it doesn't really make sense that they would even need him to show up to do this, right? Because it's like, no, as so far, no one has mentioned how heavy this device is, right? She's just too weak to pick it up, so they need Orko to show up to, like, make it levitate so she can move it. That's it. But, like, that's, like, an unnecessary, like, point at all. Like, she should just pick it up. Because Orko's appearance does literally nothing else for the plot of this episode. Uh, except that it, as you mentioned, gives them an opportunity to play Orko's theme. So, I mean, worth it. And Orko even mentions... Uh, okay, I'm going to cast a floating spell on the transmutator so that you can push it out to the terrace. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you set it down, the spell goes away. So they, he even like cuts off any, he precludes any option for his involvement to have any meaning. Yeah, and he just is like, all right, bye. <laughs> 
So Ilyana saunters out to the terrace and summons the old woman, Jarvan, who refuses to give Ilyana another hit of the potion. Instead, reveals, does the classic villain reveal my whole plot situation, turns back into Jarvan, the old man, who Ilyana may or may not recognize, it's unclear, but disappears with the transmutator. Who could have foreseen this turn of events? And then does Ilyana faint or does Jarvan do something to make her pass out? I think she just straight up faints. Oh, I have to warn the others. Oh, no. And then she just passes out. So Orko, who is totally a useful character and is not shoehorned into this episode for no reason, discovers Ilyana and warns everybody. Orko, walking plot device. Ilyana admits what she did, giving away the transmutator. This sets off Prince Adam's He-Man transformation threshold, so he runs off into the bushes. So if you were Jarvan and had stolen the transmutator and could turn anything into gold or anything else... Literally do anything. What would you use that transmutator for? Well, I know what I would do. Well, I don't know what I would do but I know I wouldn't do what he does. (laughs) Jarvan's plan. Okay, he could... uh, There's a lot of, like, random baddies floating around Eternia. Uh, Shadow apes. There's the underground orc people. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, like, countless elder gods just, like, sip a tea and sit around, you know? Yep. The fire people who... I mean, they had a kind of an uneasy alliance with He-Man, but you could totally buy them off. Oh, yeah. So he could go off and just turn rocks into diamonds and recruit an army. Uh, he could do something sinister and crash, like you mentioned, the whole Eternian economy. He could literally turn the entire Eternian palace into, like, gas, you know, like into wisp, get rid of it. He could flood the market with uh, space metal and start a war between the moon and Palace Eternia. He could go break free from the prison mines his like compatriots that he'd serve time with, you know, get himself a motley crew together to do all these things. Oh, the like Arkham Asylum prison break. Uh, no, he tries to zap He-Man with it. And he just like sits and zaps. I do have to say, Jarvian is holding the transmutator and using it as effectively a zapper gun. Despite his pot belly, I guess he does have some kind of old wizard strength. Because apparently, you know, that thing's heavy. Yeah. And as Orko told us, uh, the <laughs> lightning spell that made it not as heavy uh, wore off as soon as Elena set it down on the picnic table. So, like, it's still pretty heavy. And, I mean, you know, to give Jarvan some credit, the power of zaps is renowned in Eternia. So, He-Man, they happen to run into each other. Like, Jarvan's waiting for, like, He-Man. So, All right, now that I have his attention, I'll try to zap him. So he zaps him. He's literally behind a pillar, and He-Man, like, wanders in. So he's got, like, it on a freeze-ray form, and he freezes uh, a little bush or something that He-Man's hiding behind. And this is Ben's vote for the pun of the week. He-Man is giving him shit for, like, how bad his aim was, and says, as the thing in front of him freezes, he says, Your marksmanship leaves me cold, Jarvan. I had pulled that quote as the best-worst joke as well. There's not a lot in this episode. Yeah. This MacGuffin makes no sense. 
So it turns that to cold, then he turns it into uh, like a heat ray that just starts turning things on fire. Yeah, he follows up the your marksmanship leaves me cold remark with something like, oh, well, maybe we'll heat things up instead, mm-hmm. and then turns the floor into fire. But He-Man jumps over it. And then Jarvan literally just throws like a flashbang at him again, which blinds He-Man. I think flashbangs, based on these 16 episodes, have got to be pretty high up there in the hierarchy of power in Eternia. Yeah. They're like very utilitarian. Like everybody uses them in a lot of different types of situations. I'd put them in the top 15. Well, top 10 maybe. They've used them on shadow apes. They used them on, I think, the giant robot Gargantuan. The one where Skeletor was stealing people's energy. Oh, the yeah, the giant statue thing. They used it on uh, like a dragon, I think. Yeah. They're pretty high up. I would put them in, I think it's Zap, or sorry, I think it's uh, Muscles, Zaps, and I'm going to go Flashbangs, right number three. You put it above boulders? I don't think it goes above boulders. Oh, Okay. I mean, it could be like 3A and 3B. Like, I see Flashbang being up there, but I don't know if I put it above boulders. I'm not going to do it, but uh, dedicated listener, if you want to go back through the first 15 episodes of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe and count the occurrences of Boulder versus Flashbang. I bet Boulder is, like, slightly ahead of Flashbang. I feel like Flashbang is, like, four or five times in Boulder. Oh, Boulder happens, like, once every like episode or like maybe an episode and a half so it happens like twice in three episodes it is pretty often that's true so while he-man is recovering from temporary blindness jarvan uses the transmutator not to turn he-man into i don't know gas but to encase his legs in rock yes (laughs) and then we get to the other power of the transmutator for some reason yeah Oh, yeah. Oh, I completely forgot. I like I knew there was something insane that happens and it didn't make any sense at all. And now I remember. So he aims up the transmutator, points it at the palace, clicks a button and it starts shrinking the palace. So, okay, everyone is in the palace, you know, enjoying afternoon tea or whatever. No sense. Jarvan could turn the walls of the palace into fire. Or poisonous Water, melt gas. Melt down, kill people, yeah. But he's going to steal the palace. By shrinking it. It's actually a little gruesome because the people are not shrinking. They aren't? I think that just the palace is shrinking and the people are like getting crowded together as the walls close in. And this is why it, was just, it made no sense, is that they were shrinking, but He-Man wasn't. Oh, maybe that's what I... So He-Man runs in, I guess, after the palace has already been zapped. So it hasn't gotten all the way shrunken. It's like big enough that he can run in the hallways and then he gets in there while it's shrinking and just like holds the palace up or something. He So two walls are crushing together. Do they do this in Indiana Jones or, I don't know, any tomb raiding movie where you trip the floor thing and the walls start to compress and you're looking for, oh, like Star Wars, you know, when they're in the trash pit. And yeah, He-Man just holds out his arms and and pushes the walls apart. And it it stops the thing from shrinking because muscles. 
Sure. And then it starts to give feedback into the transmutator, which explodes the transmutator because his muscles. At least it's internally consistent with the hierarchy of power. <laughs> okay, yeah. say <laughs> <laughs> Internally consistent with what? Oh, yeah, but with muscles that win. Yeah, no, that's that's right. And then they say something like mind over matter, as if this was a genius plot by He-Man. Oh, was it? That makes no sense. So Jarvian escapes, I guess, during everyone's just utter bafflement at mm-hmm. what happened. Ilyana admits that she has the magic ring, and Man-at-Arms concocts a plan to build an amplifier for the ring to summon Jarvan back and pin him in whatever the location so that T-Man can presumably punch him or whatever. So they could send him back to the prison mines. So they do that and Jarvan shows up and just immediately starts blasting things. Yeah. Which they're like in Man-at-Arms, you know, careful scientific workshop where we've already seen... There are just barrels of explosives, rockets lying around. He's got to have some nuclear warheads like in the back shelf somewhere. And Jarvan's just fireball, fireball, ice bolt. And He-Man, like, like he shoots in that He-Man, and He-Man deflects them with his sword. Just all kitty wampus. He sets something on fire, and then uh, He-Man blows it out with his breath. I forgot about that. Manages to trap He-Man in some weird golden band thing for a second tries to skedaddle but Elena jumps on his back chases him down and tackles him like a champ and actually here's like it's not a pun but best worst joke to you He-Man's now like well Elena defeated the villain he's there and he's about to like skedaddle again or portal something he says you haven't heard the last of me and then He-Man says you mean you'll write to me from the prison mine yeah it's pretty good uh, He-Man closes with some sage advice to Elena. The only way to feel good is to feel good about yourself. Wise words. That brings it close to the episode. Very special episode. No jokes, just serious. So, what do you think the episode's moral is? It's It's gotta be. Yep, drugs are bad, MK. In today's, Elena tried taking a magic potion, which she thought would help her. Well, she found out there any ma- aren't any magic potions. And you know what? There aren't any magic drugs either. Anytime you take one from anybody but your parents or your doctor, you're taking a very big chance. You're gambling with your health, maybe even your life. Drugs don't make your problems go away. They just create more. Yeah, I don't even want... I I will not accept any attorney in silver points for getting that one right. That's very noble of you. Yeah, that one was a, just a walking dare episode. I mean, it could have been the old uh, don't take candy from strangers, I guess. An outside chance. Ilyani even remarks a couple of times, I think around the first two, the first and second appearance of the old woman. Hey, where did you come from all of a sudden? Jarvan's just, nah, don't worry about it. What's important here is this drug. She didn't even like strike up a conversation first. She just like straight up offered a drug, said, hey, this will make you feel good. And that was it. And what sort of sheltered life did Elena like grow up in that like she doesn't understand that that's pretty clearly a drug dealer the potion even had the magic sparkles effect going on what do you think the real world counterpart was of that drug like what drug do you think she was on so gave her a ton of confidence made her feel really good 
had a pretty steep decline. I think MDMA. How about you? I was thinking cocaine, but it's not. It was clearly more addictive than cocaine was. Like cocaine's addictive, but not like immediately physically addictive in like heroin ways or not. You know. Uh, I just think of Empire State of Mind, the immortal words of Jay Z. MDMA got me feeling like a champion, and that was Ilyana's. That was her whole deal this episode. Oh, <laughs> so this is a great one. All right, when summoning Jarvan. Ilyana says the magic words M Ot Emok into the ring. Uh come to me backward. Oh Jesus. <laughs> yeah, should have seen that one coming. Yeah. Yep. No, that that seems right. So I found that from the He-Man fandom wiki repository of all He-Man knowledge. At the end of those articles, there's always like a continuity section where they say this character model appears again, or in this case, the horse appears again. They see the royal palace courtyard where Jarvan materializes. They see the geyser field in another episode. They see a few other things. And this happens all the time where they like reuse places. Do you think they're intentional nods to old episodes or it's just like, uh, where are we going to put the bad guy? A uh, geyser field. Yeah, totally geyser field. Just like total random. I don't know. So like, what are the ones that you've already seen? We've already seen, so Jarvan's old woman disguise was used by Eva Lynn in The Curse of the Spellstone, which is an episode we've watched. Because that one was when she was trying to array, like do some rabble rousing, right? So I mean, I guess they're kind of doing a similar role where they're trying to trick somebody into doing something for them against their own better judgment. Although, really, that rabble needed to be roused because, like, screw the monarchy. But I don't know if this would have been homage. I mean, they probably just, like, found something they could use. Just as a cost-saving device, I would believe that of He-Man. No Skeletor quote this week. No Skeletor. There is no Skeletor. You got the doddering old man voice for a second in the beginning. I'm surprised that, actually, that's not a piece of trivia. I can't imagine that there are very many episodes without Skeletor. Yeah. Have we seen another one yet? Yeah, he's made an appearance in almost every single one. This is the first one where he hasn't been there, at least. There was one where he wasn't there. He wasn't the bad guy, but, like, the bad guy, like, talked to him or something. Well, I missed the Skeletor voice, so next time, I suppose. Next time. Next time, (laughs) He-Man! Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Well, I think I I can't think of any... uh... Don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. And we'll see you next time on the Attorney Review.